Well, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the After Hours Podcast here at Midwest Whitetail, coming at you with Episode 8, and today is November 30th, which is an unfortunate day because that means our favorite month of the year is finally and officially behind us. We've had some incredible hunting, and, you know, to begin this episode... I need to start off by saying a huge thank you to each and every one of you, whether you're listening to the podcast, watching it, whether you've watched a daily channel blog, a regional episode, or even the main show or Chasing November episode. From all of us in Midwest Whitetail, we cannot say thank you enough. And I know it's only words, but that's all I have to offer you right now through this lens. So, you know, it's uh, the most meaningful thing in the world that you guys continue to support the brand, support the guys, and support the stories. So... Before we moved on into the podcast, I just wanted to give a big shout out to all of you. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And as I mentioned, November 30th, so December 1st is tomorrow. We have one final day here in the first split of the archery season. So if you still are going to be out there trying to fill a tag, best of luck. And to kick things off for this episode with shotgun seasons looming, which by the way, if you're going, best of luck, hunt safe, and shoot straight. Mike and Owen are going to talk about the late season and how they would approach it, some of the food sources they're going to key on. Uh, Mike talks about some of the family members he's going to take, and then Owen offers a piece of advice that if you don't have food or cannot get deer to daylight on your food, what you might be able to do. But the main meat of this episode is going to be with lead editor and Chasing November producer Gavin Caterba. You know, if you go all the way back to episode two in the podcast series of 2023, He talked about uh, what would have been his biggest buck. Uh, He's been hunting public land since 2021 when he was an intern here at Midwest Whitetail. And over the years, you know, obviously, if you guys have followed along, you've seen that he's been able to encounter some incredible deer. Well, back in early October, we talked about how he had released an arrow, some of the steps we took to try to recover his buck, you know, giving us the best chance. And unfortunately, it didn't work out, but the buck survived. This episode is all about the redemption story of the 6x5, Gavin's biggest buck ever, and I could not be happier that we get to share this one with you. He walks us through how he found the spot, what the spot looked like, and ultimately what sealed the deal. So, Gavin, shout out to you, man. Could not be any happier for you. The first of many, and I hope you guys enjoy this one. Welcome back to the After Hours Podcast here at Midwest Whitetail. Today, we have a special guest in Gavin Caterba who's going to bring us an awesome public land story. Caleb Griner was supposed to be on tonight to keep this chronologically, but long deer season, guys got to go hibernate, so we'll catch him on the next one. But Ryan Ludwig is joining us as well, Mike Reed, Owen Riegler, and today is November 30th, which officially means Chasing November has come to a close. And... To all of you out there listening, for all of you that have watched any episodes, thank you so much for the support this season. I know I can speak for these guys when we say we are very, very thankful, and we're very thankful for the heck of the you know bow season that this team had. I mean, frankly, I think, Rye, you and I are the only ones that did not tag a buck. So that's pretty good success and a uh, lot to be thankful for as we head into the month of December. Shotgun season is here. For those that still could hunt uh, in Iowa, you actually can't take the bow during the gun seasons. But if you're out there, Mike, Owen, any tips come to mind for hunting this post-rut time frame heading into the month of December? What do you got, Mike? Yeah, well, uh, obviously food food can be king this time of year. So post-rut, they lost a lot of weight and they're um, 
you know, try to find the attractive food source in the area deer trying to prepare for winter. That's usually the um, kind of the key source. And then, you know, you still see rutting activity. I, I've been shotgun hunting uh, over the years and depending on sex ratios. I mean, there are does that'll come back in the estrus early December. It can be pretty exciting. Focusing on weather fronts. Um, you know, I'm still getting, I mean, there was one of our uh, cams today, right on the home farm that looked like, it made me think there was a, there was a, some bucks dog and a doe in there, you know, they were all. Nine different bucks, I think it was crossed by that oh. camera. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, you know, you can still, I think you can still be hanging into some of your rut spots. Obviously it's slowing down quite a bit, but uh, we're transitioning from that. Those bucks looking for the last doe back to food. We've got some good weather here in Iowa. Um, we're getting another front coming through um, tonight, actually. In fact, we're supposed to have precipitation and uh, snow and ice in at least, I think, south and south central, east central Iowa. Um, so it's kind of lining up well. And, uh, yeah, anything to add there, Owen? Well, I, I've been saying probably 10 years ago, I started saying late season is my favorite season to hunt because, I mean, you just see deer, you go to these food sources, you get to watch deer the whole evening, and that's my favorite favorite thing to do anymore, you know. So the only thing I would add to what you said, Mike, obviously it's it's about food right now. They're going back to food is if you can't get, you can't catch one in daylight at that food source, you have an idea where he's bedded, and you might have to move back closer to bed and cut him off in between, you know, try and get him coming closer closer to that bedding area before he gets to the food source. I've had that happen a few times too. They just won't walk on them in daylight. So sometimes that'll happen. You just got to keep moving back toward the bedding area. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. If you had to choose one food source and one only, what would you hunt over? I know what Owen would say. Yeah. You know what I'll say. Corn is king. In two, I, w I would say weather dependent. Standing beans are awful good, but that takes good weather most of the time. I mean, if you had, I've had corn and beans side by side a lot. If you get super cold and snowy, the beans will contend and be just as good as the corn, but otherwise it's corn hands down for me. So yeah. what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I, I, um, I like hunting beans, but I like that real cold weather to hunt over beans. I love those big harsh fronts, but Obviously, on warm, in December, you still get some warm days, and uh, you get a 60-degree day. I mean, I love a good brassica plot, so it just depends. You'll see a little bit of variation in what they're doing. Um, but, yeah, as we move into late season, it's hard to beat grain. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how these next few weeks unfold. I know Mike said that he's going to be going during the shotgun season with family members, I think Chad Holmes is actually going to be hunting the Iowa shotgun season. He's coming up. So good luck to everybody out there. But before we move on to the gun seasons, Gavin, you have one heck of a story. And I think the last time you joined us on the podcast was middle of October. No, it was actually, we talked, um, I think for on Mike's episode when I was over there at your house. You're right. I forgot about oh, that. Sure. Well, the last time you were the topic of conversation, yeah. I was a backseat back driver, that one. Yeah. Well, that one was a very, very big learning discussion, mm -hmm. right? And for those, just to bring everybody up to speed that maybe you hadn't listened to that podcast, Gavin has been hunting public land dating back to when he was an intern in 2021, had some incredible hunts over the years. And back in the middle of October, somewhere, what was the date exactly? The 14th. 
14th, big weather front, put an arrow into the six by five on a piece of public land, buck that he's known for two years. And unfortunately, never recovered the buck, you know, went through all the proper steps, proper channels, got a dog tracked, and the buck shows back up a few weeks later. Gavin, take it over from there. Tell us the story of your biggest buck ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I keep like just running it over in my head over and over again. I mean, it's just, and every time I do, you just crack a smile. It's just like, man, it, it happened. <laughs> still can't believe it. Still can't believe it. Um, also, when a plan comes together. Man, couldn't be sweeter. You know, this, uh, so since, since I hit that buck, um, again, October 14th, I think it was like 12 to 14 days, somewhere in there. You know, I hadn't had a picture of him or anything. And then lo and behold, he showed back up in daylight, of course, just hitting my scrape, just doing the thing, you know, and I was like, so relieved. Um, I was sitting here actually at my desk and I remember calling you, Josh, and just feeling so relieved that he was okay. And, you know, he, he looked, there was no visible wound on him. It wasn't the greatest picture. There was a big sun flare on it. And so you couldn't really tell anything. And then, um, you know, but regardless, he, he, he looked like he was in good shape. He didn't look like he had any real visible wounds or anything. So it was like, man, A, where did I hit him? And B, you know, the chase is on, back on. So from there on, um, still kind of sporadic throughout the rest of October, got into the later part of October, a little bit more consistent. And then the rut rolls around and it's just obviously chaos. And that river bottom down there, you get a lot of newer bucks showing up from like October 25th to like November 10th or so there's a lot of new ones in and out in and out a lot of a lot of deer that I'd never seen before some deer on that property I have history with like there's there's this one really mature eight point that we encountered one time uh, later in November and I've had him since my intern year I've had pictures of him my intern year which just blows me away in and of itself to have three years of pictures of the same deer on public land you know so just just craziness but have you noticed since your intern year at that same time frame? Yeah, exactly. And and we were and that's part that was part of our strategy was, you know, I hadn't hunted that place two years in a row. I hunted it a little bit intern year when I was able to get out. Not at all last year because I was hunting that big deer. And then this year was going off of two years of trail cam uh photos, you know, the history of them. And so that really kind of like led me to decisions of like certain areas to hunt on the property. But at the same time, like I, I had only hunted it so many times, I'd scouted it quite a bit, walked it quite a bit, but, um, you know, only hunted it a certain number of times. So didn't really know the deer patterns that well. And so, you know, it was a really cool thing as the season progressed, just hunting that place over and over again, jumping around to different spots. We mostly would do hanging hunts. I, I left one set up, um, but mostly hanging hunts. And so we're bouncing around looking for different spots and, um, you know, just learning the deer movement that way. So anyway, we get back to, um, you know, late October. Um, he's kind of in and out. November rolls around and we're, we're hunting when we can between doing work and everything and going on other people's recoveries and, and enjoying that stuff and, and everything. And, you know, having awesome hunts, I mean, incredible hunts for again, public land and, um, you know, stuff that anybody can hunt. Um, November 1st had a great hunt. November 
shoot, I don't even remember the dates anymore, but you know, rolling into that first, that first week historically was always super hot from the first up until really the first 10 days or so. And so we were trying to get out as much as we can. Had this really cool, like five deer chase. There was a big mature buck um, that had actually broken off his whole left side, I think. And he came booking it through with a doe right underneath us at 10 yards. There was, I mean, he was just full tilt running. I mean, there was no chance of stopping him and getting a shot, you know, but um, you know, that was really cool. And, and so we, we were at, this is at that, um, this one spot I call the crossing. It's just like this big crossing, this big pinch, uh, between the river and this slough that kind of meet at a perpendicular angle and they just funnel right through there. I mean, it's a perfect spot in between two bedding areas. So we were hunting that spot a lot and then decided to hunt this brand new spot. Um, probably sometime in that first week of November was our first time sitting that we called it the duck pond stand because it's next to this old like dried up duck pond looking thing it's just a big open little dip in the terrain clearly where water pools up in certain you know wetter uh, years and everything and this year it's just grown up into weeds just this brushy stuff and um we actually use it as access it's a nice like kind of again low spot and so you kind of stay below eye level of the deer that are bedded up in the river bottom, kind of like in the peninsula, Mike, where it's real thick on the ground level, lots of like canary grass and brush piles and stuff like that. Very similar to that. Um, and so we can slip in there and basically at, at the very end of it, you just pop up in the stand and basically that stand sets up as like this big, it's next to this huge willow thicket. I mean, it's gotta be a 50, 60, 70 acre, willow thicket. I mean, it's just enormous. And, um, just, just thinking about it, looking at it on a map, it's like, man, this has got to be just a major bedding area. And so we, we keyed in on that spot for that reason, just hunting basically the edge of it where it opens back up into the open river bottom. And again, using that duck pond as access popping right up and we're, we're right there in the thick of things. Yeah. It is very interesting to think about number one, how many references you can make to the river farm. It's yeah. almost like every hunt that you're editing. It's like a, uh, a study map of yeah. hmm, how's, how could I hunt a river bottom farm? Yeah. But when we, and I don't want to get ahead too far in the story here, but it's like, here's this multi this thousand plus acre public land piece yeah. of all the same stuff, you know? And that's one thing. It's like, if you look at that thing on the map, you're like, I have no idea where to start. <laughs> right. But the spot you're describing, one of the things that sticks out to me is like, it's one of those locations that has the most differentiation and edge. Like every exactly. side of it is a different habitat. And, you know, when you speak about pinch, do you think that that, is that something you've noticed or keyed on with that piece? As far as a pinch point, you mean? Yeah. Just like, cause it's not like on a map, you really don't look at that and go, oh, that pinch is something down in the bow range. Right. It's not like a food plot. It's not like a fence gap. Yeah. You know, I, on a map, I don't think you could go, yeah, there's a pinch point. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you were scouting, did, did that play a role in it? No. And it's, it's funny. It's just kind of like one of those spots, like I would always walk by and it's like at the, at the end, edge of this duck pond, there's like a small opening where it's just canary grass. There's a few trails that kind of crisscross right next to some open timber that butts up then against this, just, just this wall of willows. I mean, it's just like 
night and day difference, open timber and just willow jungle nastiness. And, uh, it's, it's just, again, one of those spots I would walk by, we walked by it. In fact, the day that I went and shot the six by five on the 14th of October, we, we used that same access path, but kept going. And I, I, I actually walked it in, um, the day before, uh, bow season opened just, just to look for access. Um, it was a hot day, windy and everything went in there midday because the buck was showing up so much on trail camera and actually like picked this, this little, it's this little cluster of maple trees and it's kind of an opening. There's a few, uh, red oaks in there and they were dropping acorns, those little, those little acorns that they drop. And I was like, man, this might be a decent little spot. It was kind of matted down. You could tell deer were in there feeding and didn't, didn't actually end up hunting the tree that I originally marked, but it was right there in that same spot. But again, we, we were just walking past it up to that point. And then just on a whim one day decided to sit it. Um, you're threading the needle with the wind. It's basically blowing back the way we walk in a, a South wind. Um, and so even with that South wind, I mean, you're still, I mean, you're just in the middle of everything. And so it's so hard to just not have something get downwind, but it still works. It's, it's still a a pretty decent setup. And man, from, I'm trying to think of that first hunt. Yeah. That first hunt was an evening hunt that we had out there. And we, that was like the first week of November, we had a bunch of younger bucks. The oldest was like a two and a half year old type buck, nice little eight point but we had like five bucks come by the stand and i was like man i mean they're certainly using this area as a travel route i mean i think that duck pond kind of funnels them they definitely walk it but it kind of just like leads them that natural like path of movement almost just leads them right to the end where there's that little opening open patch of canary grass that we're basically sitting over you can see like i said there's a few trails that crisscross and it all just kind of happens right there in that little spot. Um, so we were like, okay, this is a pretty, pretty decent little spot. We'll definitely sit this really way. Big yeah. wall of willows on the one side of that duck pond too. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's yeah. all bedding, right? Yeah. The willows are what you're identifying as the bedroom. Exactly. They and- they certainly do bed in the river bottom, like the open stuff where it's just canary grass and brush piles and everything. But for sure, the willow thicket is the main thing that we're keying in on. And that's exactly what we were seeing out the gate is they're coming out of that multiple using multiple different trails coming from multiple different ways, but coming out of that and really heading towards the big ag fields that are further off the property. Um, ended up sitting that mostly. So that was the first sit was a, an evening hunt. And then from there on, we were mostly sitting it in mornings, um, having really good sits. I think the, 11th of October, we encountered that bladed eight, which if I had to guess November, was that right? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. 11th of November. Correct. Yeah. Um, encountered that bladed eight, which if, again, if I had to guess, he is probably a six year old plus deer. I mean, again, I had him for three years total, just, just knowing body size, general body sizes of deer and what they kind of look like at certain ages. My guess would be six, but who knows at the end of the day. Um, and had him come in with a doe, he was locked down with a doe, spotted him a little ways off along the edge of that, that wall, quote unquote, of, of the willows. He was working a scrape, ripping up trees, rubbing and stuff. I mean, it was crazy. 
And then sure enough, a doe pops out and he's with her. They work our way naturally. And he sits under this oak tree at 40 yards and works a scrape for no, no less than 15, 20 minutes. I mean, just sitting there, just licking the branch, just licking the branch, kind of scraping, looking at her, licking the branch and just, just eating you alive. You know, I mean, it's just this stud of an eight point, um, at 40 yards, there was like a wall of branches and stuff that I, there's no way I could get a shot. And I don't even know if I'd really want to take a 40 yard shot necessarily on a calm morning and things like that, but still just, just eating you alive, watching this giant buck hanging out right here, (laughs) almost in bow range for me. And it was funny. I told, I, I told you, uh, that story, Mike, um, shortly after that hunt and you were like, man, what you could do in that situation is, is give him a little snort wheeze, like nothing crazy, just a little snort wheeze because you're in his quote unquote bubble, his little like comfort zone. And if all of a sudden a buck shows up in that bubble, he's going to come check it out. Cause like you always hear, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to call a deer off of a, off of a doe. And so that was in the back of my mind while I was sitting there, I was like, this is, I'm, I'm probably just going to end up screwing this up if I try to call at him. So I'm just going to let him do his thing. Maybe he works our way. Probably not. Whatever. That's reasonable. It's really hard to call a deer when they're close too, yeah. right? I mean, you, you start blowing on your gun call, you're probably going to, you know, run them out of there. But, um, you know, when they're that close and it's thick country, you know, just I, I've had experience where you, you do a little tiny behind you and all of a sudden he walks 15 yards to see if he can see, but now he's, he is in bow range. He doesn't have to leave her. You know, you're so darn close to him, but, uh, you know, he's a hundred yards off. He's probably not going to make it in the bow range, but at 40, you might get him to walk 10. And I think that's the key for the spots. I mean, the river farm, obviously it's like when you watch the video from the river farm or from your public land hunts, Gavin, you know, as a viewer, you're like, there's no way you're going to call. They can clearly see right to your tree. Right. But when you're standing on the ground, all that canary grass, it's like, you really can't see sometimes more than 10 yards in front of you. And I think that that, you know, from a river bottom standpoint compared to maybe ag country or flat countries, like that's the small difference that makes calling just so much more effective. Mm -hmm. Can you, uh, I think it's so funny. You're like, I did the Mike Reed snort. I should have done the Mike Reed snort. And it comes into play. Yeah, that's. So people think about that, you know, really aggressive through this, you know, if you had a grunt tube or something like that. Does somebody want to illustrate the soft, you know, 40 yards? I think the expert should be Mike. It's got to be Mike. I think the expert should do it. It's very, it seems funny that we're talking about, but it's it's very unique. Like when I think of a Snorwees, I remember the first time you ever did it, Mike, was your Urban Bow Kill 2016. Mm. That was in 15. Yeah. 15. 2015. It was December 5th, actually. And, uh, that that 10 was out in the cut corn with a bunch of other deer and you know i'd grunted at him a few times um well i grunt behind me because i had that kind of deep ravine behind me and uh he thought the thing that got him though because he'd look and he'd go back to feeding and he'd look and he'd go back to feeding and then that little snort wheeze uh and he couldn't help it he walked over and he was probably 80 yards and he he walked in all the way to the edge but I do it with my mouth. I mean, it's not much to it. I don't, I don't do it through the little megaphone on the, unless I'm trying to call to one, say 200 yards away, but it's just a little, 
I mean, it's quiet. There's not much to it, but I've heard enough bucks do it that a lot of times it is fairly sort of like, did he just snort me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, when they're close, I mean, obviously, to me, the lowest volume that gets their attention is what you want. And uh, just a little bit of something like that. And a lot, it's just worked so many times. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so fast forward, you're in November. Obviously, you're having many buck encounters. Before we get to the day, you know, the very important day uh, that you kill, early season, you, you talk about you ran trail cameras in there. Did you identify that a lot of does were in this willow thicket? Is that what you're keying in on? Do you think bucks are in there or do you think, are you like, okay, this is where my most does are and I'm just going to get around them? For sure. And there was, there's kind of like this middle area that's this middle thicket that I originally thought was like a big bedding area and like a main area that they, that they, uh, hold up in. And they certainly do. <clears throat> in fact, the night that we killed, I fit, we filmed five does come out of that, that for sure. were just bedded right there and hopped up and, and we're, you know, wanting to come this way. So it's for sure, it was for sure a spot, but again, like kind of realize, especially hunting this stand that this is for sure their area. And it's, it's an area that I did put a camera inside of, of the willow thicket this year. Uh, I've walking it last year, just found some, uh, historic scrapes and stuff. Just put one up over it. I don't even think that they really scraped on it that much this year, but it was an open little patch in there. And so you'd get them walking by and stuff a lot. And you know, was for that sure. tracks, is that what you use there as the tracks? Yeah. Yeah. I love the tracks cameras. I mean, they're just super simple. And I mean, it, it, I certainly could use a cutty link system out there and it would, it would work all the same, but, um, just for ease of use. And for my purposes, just being able to put a bunch in a bunch of different properties I mean, they're, they're pretty, pretty sweet from that perspective, but the battery life too. I mean, I oh, think yeah. like of all the things that I've noticed, great picture quality, reliable, but the battery life is what surprised me. And that's Crazy. why I asked that question because it's, that seems like a spot you definitely don't want to be walking in. Exactly. And that's it, regardless of getting the pictures like on your phone and stuff, like that's the best part of cell cameras for me is like not having to go and check them and like leave your scent and invade and like potentially bump deer out, especially a bedding area or close to a bedding area. Like it's the nicest thing for me about cell cameras is just letting it sit and you still get the Intel. I mean, MRI, that's, I mean, that could probably fast forward us to. Yeah. So we get into the back half of November and just between doing work and other stuff, just not able to, we just didn't hunt a a ton. You say it. Consistently. Tell the team to stop shooting deer. Yeah. Guys, come on. Help a brother out. (laughs) Come on. Help a brother out. (laughs) No. Yes. Super busy. I mean, just again, incredible season that everybody has had and a bunch of like really in-depth, you know, stories. I mean, what it comes down to, it's, it's amazing. Like the stories that we've had this year anyway. So between just working on that and other things for work and, and whatnot, able to get out here and there. And I've been really gravitating towards this stand just because of the fact that we have good hunt after good hunt after good hunt. Um, and the access is killer. We're not generally bumping many deer going in and out or sitting in the stand. It's again, really hard not to, cause you're just right in the middle of everything. 
And so there's at certain points, like there's going to be deer that bump, but they, they generally don't freak out that much and they're comfortable enough in that area that they just come right back. I mean, it just works out. I don't know how else to say it, but, um, we had a hunt, I want to say like the 18th of November or something had a great encounter with a three-year-old buck. I believe three-year-old buck, um, that I've encountered a couple times now, got awesome footage. It was a incredible encounter. He's bumping does around. And so it's like, okay, they're, they're coming a, that he came out pretty early with them. And so it's like, okay, they're betting really close to this spot, which is again, I think a, a key to this whole ordeal is like, we're right next to the beds. And that's, and that's what, I mean, ultimately paid off as far as having great hunts in there. And, you know, he's still bumping does around. There's still does potentially coming into heat and everything. And so fast forward another week or so, the six by five all this time, I guess I should back up the six by five all this time throughout most of November is kind of just in and out. He's clearly just going to other bedding areas, coming back, going to other bedding areas that I don't have cameras in coming back and just kind of jumping around. But for sure, the area that I was hunting is what he called home. I mean, it was back in October and he kept gravitating back towards this area. So it's like, okay, we're just going to have to keep putting in time to eventually catch up with him. I think I said in one of my interviews, it's like, man, we're for sure going to encounter him at one of these times. I mean, between how consistent he was on camera and just knowing that he lived there for sure, it, it was just a matter of time. Um, and so we get to 27th of November and I get, I'm sitting here on the computer and I get a picture of him with two does following two does into going into that big willow thicket. And it was in daylight. It was like four fifteen or something, four twenty, something like that. And I was like, man, he's going to be in there the next couple of days, most likely. Cause he was right on him. It wasn't like does come by and five, 10 minutes later, he comes by, he was like literally right behind them in the picture. And so you got to think she's either close or, hot right now and so it's like we got to get in there and so the next day uh the 28th um go in there and sit it's actually kind of a wild story we didn't really document this very well but uh i had left my climbing sticks kind of at the entrance of the public not not the entrance of the public more like the entrance of the river bottom where it kind of dips down into the river bottom and um it was it's not really a spot, I guess, that I've seen a lot of foot traffic, but for sure is a spot that it's easy to access from, and it's a ways back away from the stand. So I left my sticks there, probably in a little too easy of a spot to see, and I I, I left them there just so I didn't have to carry them in and out, because it's like two-thirds, three-quarters of a mile back to the truck from there. So I left them there, expecting to walk in, and they're right there, and I can pick them up and go. And they're gone. Somebody had stolen them. And I can see <laughs> boot tracks in the snow that walked up to them and they're just gone. They if you're talk. listening to this and you stole Gavin's sticks, shame on you and yeah. go put them back under <laughs> that tree right now. I was I was pretty upset. And so that's I, public land, man. God, I mean, nothing sacred. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I was actually gonna say the best, the most important reason to use tracks cameras is if they take one, you don't lose your whole system. That's, you know? Right. <laughs> like, that's right. <laughs> yeah. God, I've had some cameras stolen from back yeah. in the day. 
yeah not not happy not a happy camper at that point and so it's like (laughs) it's like 1 15 or something no maybe a little earlier than that closer to one o'clock and i was like well i have this other stand that i've left up all season and i have climbing sticks that i can easily take down so i'm gonna have to go all the way around go tromping through all this area the nice thing is we can kind of loop around the way that we access that stand and so it's fairly out of out of the way but still close to the bedding area so i'm looping all the way around i'm sweating like a dog and i'm huffing and puffing and 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 moving trying to get over there and get back in time because i was like man we could go sit over there and just be like you know what we're just gonna have to roll with it but i was like dude we got to be in there we have to there's that's where he's gonna be at and so i go over there and take the sticks down pack them up and hike back and i'm just seething and smoke's coming out of my ears and stuff whatever and so i get back and we're okay we calm down we take a minute to just like cool down or whatever and then start to what's that no angel just nice and calm yeah yeah just just deep breaths just deep breaths <laughs> no i it's uh, it's an amazing thing you didn't sit in that stand i mean i don't think there's very many people that wouldn't have just said screw it this is where we're gonna be. whatever i mean yeah it it i don't know i just had that just had that feeling we got to be in there you know we had the wind for it i mean we went in there to hunt that stand and i was just like we're gonna do it turns out we ended up getting in there with plenty of time so it worked out fine doing my opening interview and i look over as i'm closing it out and oh there's a little buck he's walking through the river bottom just moseying around kind of feeding or whatever turn around there's another little buck i'm like holy smokes what is going on it's like two o'clock 2 30 and they're already on their feet and they're both feeding like it was this is post snow so two days after the snow i think it was still really cold it was i mean at that point in the day it was probably I think my truck said like 20 some degrees, right? It was zero degrees that morning. Yeah. Sun came up 23 when I was hunting that night. Yeah. So it was cold, cold, at least relative to what it had been. So that cold snap, you know, and they're on their feet or whatever. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. And, And they're feeding right near the stand. There's the second buck that we saw just a little, uh, spike or whatever he's straight behind me and he's right underneath this like hedge tree. It's a pretty wide tree, but it's clearly dropping hedge apples because he's over there munching on them and whatever. And he's hanging out for a while. And then, um, you know, we have a group of, I think it was two does and two fawns. They come out of the main willow thicket and they come right in. I mean, I could have shot them for sure. And they ended up, uh, I think getting our ground scent and kind of running back into the willows, but didn't really make a big fuss luckily. Um, but they were kind of pecking around and feeding and stuff. And it's like, okay, clearly they want to get on their feet early and feed. And this again is all before, like, this is like three o'clock. And so I did a, an interview. It's like, man, these, these deer are really wanting to feed right now for sure. And after that have another group of does come from the opposite way five uh, i think it was two maybe three mature does and two fawns or vice versa something like that they come in and they're they're moving through and um i'm assuming they're going to food but they kind of just kept on going but 
and then it was kind of a lull after that. That was about three thirty, and so I was like, okay, it's prime time. I mean, if it's this good right now, like it's got to be just, it's got to just keep going from here. And then it just was like dead after that. Um, four o'clock rolls around, still nothing, and we're just like, man, what the heck? And then um, I want to say about four twenty, I just spot a doe and a fawn coming out of the willow thicket, the big willow thicket. And, um, just like, oh, there's, there's Doe and Fawn. Finally, we see some deer on their feet again. And they're just casually walking like nothing, no care in the world. And then they stop and feed for a little bit. And I look behind them and there's a deer walking behind them with his head down. And I can see a rack moving just behind all the brush that he's walking behind. And so I glass him. I was like, that's a six by five and Dragos luckily had just started recording. I go literally the clip starts and he, and I say, Hey, there's a buck right behind him. And then I, you can hear me pull up my glass and the wireless audio opening my bino harness and whatever. And I go, dude, that's the six by five. And he goes, what, what, whatever he says. And we get on him and he comes out right behind him. Let's out like two, two of those, like, deep tending grunts where they like like that sort of thing that those longer grunts i'm like man it is on this is sweet and the problem was though is those does had came out about 50 yards away and they were heading away from us like they were going to go pass through and probably go out to ag or whatever turns out they just stopped and fed in this little area again there's those hedge apple trees there's little bits of vegetation still growing versus the willow thicket it's all canary grass and willows like they're not going to be eating in there so they come out to this little open patch of timber and there's just like little bits of vegetation and stuff and that's what all the other deer were doing up to that point and they came out and did the exact same thing and so he's going by and he's following them and i'm like man he's just gonna walk on by and we're we're screwed turns out he just stops at that hedge tree with where that uh other little bucket had been feeding and he just sits there for like 15 minutes and he's just picking his head up. You can see a big old apple in his mouth and he's just munching away and whatever and doing his thing. And there was a little buck that came out. He kind of pushed him off, whatever. And then he finally is just like slowly working his way and he ends up with his head behind the tree and his, the, the trunk of the tree is big enough to cover his entire head. And so I was like, man, why not let a snort wheeze out and see what happens? Cause it's funny. I had just edited, I had just edited the Fitz magic show and I just re- had seen you do. I don't know if it was in the, it was in one of the hunts, Mike. I don't know if it was, you know what? I bet it was the day you encountered him three times. You snort wheezed at him as he's walking down the lane there to go out to the high fields and he stops and he's pawing the ground and stuff. I was like, I'm going to try the old Mike Reed snort wheeze and see what, what happens. What do you have to lose? <laughs> Oh, it's going down. It's November 28th. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Should I even try to, to replicate oh, yeah. it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen to Rye. <laughs> Rye's just yeah, angry. I'm going to live through you guys with these <laughs> Gave him the old And, again, his head was fully behind this tree. And so we can't see any any sort of change in his body language he, he still kept kept his feet in the same spot and dragos even says like i don't even think he i don't know if he 
change his body language or anything. I don't know if he heard you. And then no sooner after that, he wheels all the way around and he's looking our direction. It's like, he for sure heard that. And he pins his ears back immediately and he just marches and it's in the canary grass and it's cold and everything's frozen. And so it's loud and it's, and he's just marching stops and looks once. Um, and then just keeps on coming and he's not coming in the little opening, the little canary grass opening that I mentioned earlier that we're kind of set up for. He's coming straight behind the stand and there's one, it's just this like row of maple trees. So it's like this total blind spot to shoot from where he was at, but he's coming behind us and there's just an opening where another major trail kind of comes through right underneath the stand. And there's just an opening in the trees that I can shoot. He's coming right behind there. I range it at 25, the more or less trajectory that he's going on. And he just keeps on marching, just really does not stop, just wants to come mess up, whatever, just snort wheezed at him. And uh, comes back behind us, stop him right there in the exact spot I had ranged. And, um, you know, settled in everything and shot him. And, I mean... I will say this backing up to like when he's sitting there feeding, I was sitting there shaking. Dragos took a clip of the broadhead in my, um, as I was just holding my bow and it's literally like this. I was like convulsing. Oh my gosh. I was going to, I was going to interject and say, that was the most calm explanation of yeah. what you I mean, I, I've never between the cold and obviously this giant buck that's right underneath us. Like I've never shaken that much in my life. That's and, passion, oh, that's baby. Awesome. That is I mean, it, was, it was crazy. And, but then I was telling this to Josh, I remember this, like, it was the weirdest thing. Like, as soon as he started marching our way, everything just like went calm. And I was just like, all right, here we go. And you're freezing. My hands are freezing. I don't have gloves on or anything, but like, you're just like in the, in the zone. It's just, it's the weirdest thing how that happens. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you talk about going back all the way to October, right? And that didn't, the first event didn't unfold the way you wanted it to, but it wasn't just like, Oh, we didn't find them. Go hunt another day. You know, you spent a lot of time yeah, trying to break down what went wrong. What didn't I do? One of the things you said was you don't really remember what happened, you know, cause, because it was just, Oh, there he is. And not mm-hmm. panic, but just let, you know, kind of let adrenaline, you know, set in Get the best. One of, one of the things you talked about the rest of the year, and we didn't really cover this in this podcast, but Every deer that came by you, if you think about between the day you hit him and the day you killed him, you know, we talked about act like that's the deer you're going to shoot. Range, vision, the shot, all these different things. And so it's like, you know, you talk about Owen when he killed Loch Ness. There was a lot of preparation and mental focus over the last month and a half that I think that's why it probably feels so familiar to you is all that mental effort you put in. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I should go unspoken of. And really, I mean, if there's somebody out there listening to this, it's like, I just panic. I have buck fever. It's like, use every deer you see, act like it's the one you're going to try and kill. And, you know, eventually maybe that starts to become more of a muscle memory. So I just, you know, I think you put in a lot of work to make that moment feel as focused as it was. For sure. No, absolutely. It's, it was a huge downer. I mean, it happens to everybody, but still just, I, just get super bummed out about it. And, um, 
you know, really at the end of the day, though, just wanted to do everything I could. I mean, Owen, you and I talked for a while one day about just like potential things to try and, you know, ways to practice, ways to, you know, I use a thumb trigger and how to kind of do that. And, you know, just, just always trying to learn at the end of the day, I'm fairly new to this. And so, you know, just that's really probably the best, one of the best things about doing what I get to do is that I get to talk to guys like Mike and Owen and all of you guys. I mean, don't talk to Ryan. We ain't got nothing off of you. (laughs) No, that's what I mean. Like all of you guys have, have something to say and some, some sort of perspective that, you know, either somebody else doesn't, or it just like resonates differently or whatever. And, you know, all those different things kind of combine and it, it just elevates your, your uh, ability to learn so much more. And I mean, I couldn't be more grateful for that, for all of you guys, for everything we've talked through over the, over the days and weeks and whatever. So, um, and it all ended up working out. So it wasn't exactly like the cleanest, um, series of events after that. Um, you know, the shot just right off the bat, if you just see where the shot hits him, I mean, it's like, it looks like it's dang near close to the heart. And he, the thing is though, is after the shot, he runs a good, I don't know, 60, 70 yards, stops, looks back and tails flagging, clearly alert. Yeah. Yep. And then he tucks it kind of takes a few steps, a little uneasy and then turns the other way and jogs off tail tucked and we lose him about a hundred yards away going into this other thicket. And, um, we're like, man, just super uneasy about it. I mean, if you don't see him go down, it's like you just really don't know what what to think. And obviously with everything that had happened the first time around, it's like, man, I hope I didn't mess this up again. And so we talked to everybody, talked to Josh and Rye right after and, you know, kind of got a game plan. Ended up just coming back to the house and looking at the footage, trying to – at the end of the day – with the camera screen, like you can only see so much, it's just so small. So putting it on the computer really helps just to get a better, a better idea. And at that point we still were thinking like, man, I had to have clipped heart. Like it's right there. Um, but the thing with it was, is the arrow didn't go, it didn't pass through or anything. It's in a spot where you, if, if it hit the heart, you would have thought it would pass through, but it stopped it. It probably got a good, I don't know, what would you say? 12, 15 inches of penetration. Something yeah. Like I mean, based on the video, you know, being able to take yeah. it frame by frame, you know, we matched up the part of your arrow we could see. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's right around a foot probably of penetration. I mean, at the end of the day, the video, you watch it in full speed and you're like, oh man, he should be dead. But it's just like anything. I mean, we talked about it the first podcast, let the deer's body behavior mm-hmm. tell you what you need to know, you know, just because you think it's hard. Well, his reaction didn't match it right now granted i mean we talked about it the deer i killed last year shot him in the heart it was the bottom and he lived for another 25 minutes you know so we thought maybe that was the scenario i mean basically we just made the same decisions go let the blood tell us the snow was there so that was really helpful yeah i mean Definitely not the way we thought it was going to go, though. No, it. Uh, so we go back in. It's probably two and a half hours or so. I don't know, something like that after the shot, and maybe more like three. And 
Josh and Rye were nice enough to come out some, a couple of the interns and everything. And of course, Dragos and we go out there and we find good blood. I mean, 30, 40 yards after the site of impact, um, starts bleeding and bleeding pretty decently. And so we're like, man, all right, here we go. Find where he stopped. I think found a good little pile of blood and then follow it into the, the thicket and everything. And it starts getting a lot more sparse and like down to like pin drops. And we're just like at a point where we're like, okay, where is it? Where is it? Oh, there it is. We're taking our time and everything. And eventually we lose it in that thicket. So we're like looking around, trying to find the track that he's on. You can, that's, and that was, again, the nice thing about the snow is you could see the actual tracks follow his tracks as well as the blood. Um, and so we, you know, just not wanting to screw anything up in the dark. It's like, I mean, shoot, he could have been 20 yards away and we would never see him type of thing. And so it's like, let's just come back in the morning. It's going to be plenty cold enough. And well, we found the beds too. You know I mean? That, that's, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, a hard shot, no matter what, it shouldn't get less, right? Like, right, right. again, process of elimination. We figured out pretty quickly, we're not dealing with the hard shot here, right? Yeah. And then the second we got to those beds clustered so close, it was like, all right. I mean, it's like, it was terrible. It was so hard to leave. You know, you're like, gosh, it has to be, you know, the video, it's like, he's gotta be dead. Yeah. But we backed out. I mean, like that, just let the blood tell you, don't let your emotion or what you think the blood doesn't lie. And especially with snow, I mean, you would have thought that would have been the easiest track job in the world. But when Gavin says pin drops, it's like, literally the smallest of specks and snow. So, you know, if we're, we're talking leaves, we're not seeing any of this blood. Mm-hmm. I mean, to go back the next morning. Yeah. The snow was a complete blessing. Yeah. So we go back in the next morning, it was supposed to warm up. So we tried to get in there first thing and, and you know, get right after it. Um, get back to more or less where we found the last blood and we picked up because you had an onyx track yeah right? i had the track marked a few spots at along the ways we were like okay here's last blood and then we've ended up finding more go a little bit further mark another spot blah blah and end up getting back on it pretty quickly i mean it, it didn't take us back yeah it was a lot easier to see the next speck in daylight exactly sure. yeah yeah still following pin drops but we were able to follow his track a little bit better too he kind of was veering off those main trails and make a note that we're following entry here. You know, you can definitely see it's on the yeah. right side only. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, it's decently easy to follow as far as just their pin drops still, but they're fairly consistent. So we get to a point where we're just like walking at a decent pace, like blood, blood, like able to follow it pretty, pretty decently. We actually cross over the the trail that we walk in on to go into that area like the main access path like we cross over it and go into this thicket i'm like man he made an, a loop all the way around and at this point we're probably what four five hundred yards into it probably closer yeah. to 500 yards into it yeah i'd say 450 500 by the time we doubled back yep for that and next he had, he had just basically made a big loop and was going back into basically the opposite the other side of the big willow thicket and make note we walked over this blood trail coming in the night before literally like walked right over it 
where we were all, I mean, this is just something it's, it's kind of silly of us, but we were like, all oh, we're far enough away from where you hit him. Hoop, not hooping and hollering. We're like, yeah, man, we got the game cart. We're all cocky. Like let's leave the cart here. Let's go find him. You know? And I mean, from that spot where we end up finding him, we're 200 yards away and there's a blood trail 20 yards away. I mean, it was just like one of those moments the next day where we're like, Oh no. this is not good you know so that led us to that next bed though i think that had been bed number four yeah and that's where i think it's important to talk about how the blood changed yeah so we found this i mean it's clearly been used it's a bed large bed being used by a bunch of different deer it actually watches that access trail that we come in on and so it's like okay clearly this is a spot that a lot of deer are using it's all the snow's all melted underneath it and for sure he had bedded down in there for some period of time. So Josh gets on the other side of it, picks back up on blood. And at that point, it had almost like switched from the entry side, which is the right side of the deer to the exit side, which would be the left side. And it was left side only, it was exit only. And so we were like, okay, that's interesting. And so we're, we're, we keep following it. And this, at this time, it starts getting a little bit more consistent, still smaller drops, but a little bit more like blood, 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 a little bit easier as far as like smaller intervals between blood drops and everything. I mean, we had been basically bl- dried up right on my bed. I mean, yeah. like at that point when we had gone across the path, the amount of blood we were finding, I, I personally was getting really, really nervous. Cause at this point, you know, we're thinking, talking to Owen, talking to people, it's like, this could very easily just be single lung. If it's mm-hmm. right behind the heart and it's single lung and we're dried up, that wound on the front side. Now at this point, the arrows, we haven't recovered the arrow, right? I think it's still right. in. But no doubt when that bed happened, it popped, that, that broadhead popped through just barely through the skin and all that internal blood started dropping. I mean, yeah. it wasn't spraying, but like you just said, I mean, it was... I'm, I guess why the reason I'm being so detailed on that is like, there are so many little things that went right here. Right. You know, that like made us able to find them. Right. And I was going to bring that up later when we actually found him. Cause it wasn't until we got to him and kind of, I think I just kind of leaned on him or something and blood came out of the exit side and it was like dripping out and we were like, no kidding. That arrow ended up poking through enough to have blood come out at a decent at a decent little bit and that was what we were following that whole time mm-hmm. and we just kind of had that light bulb moment i remember that when we were sitting behind him and it was just every track is different it's just super interesting how that one went for sure i mean pretty crazy but follow him into the willows and uh cross this little slough or whatever and hop up on back into the willow thicket and we're still Josh and I are just nose of the ground, like bloodhounds. We're just like looking blood, 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 you know, following it. And behind the our shoulder, Dragos is like, uh, Gav. It was like, uh, Gavin. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and Josh looks up and I just see his face like light up and I look over and I see him, his back laying there. And I just like, I literally just like fall to my knees. I'm like, no way. Just like, just total disbelief. And at that point it was 700 yards. We actually did a little track on Onyx, a rough track of what we 
did, and it was 700 yards down the track. We found him, bedded up in this, I mean, clearly a, a, an older bed or something that deer, deer had used in the past and bedded up and died in there. You couldn't have fit the blood we found no. in a glass. I mean, it was so little. If you, I mean, that's snow. That's what did it for sure. Um, yeah, just just completely in in shock and in awe and disbelief and everything. You know, it was awesome to have a bunch of good friends there. Rye, I really wish you could have been there. You were the first phone call. I can't you, believe you FaceTimed me before you put your hands on the deer. That still blows my mind. <laughs> How much fun you did. <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, you know, just called Mike, called Owen, called everybody, Caleb, and, you know, just, again, just couldn't believe it. Still can't believe it. So awesome, man. Just feel so super, for you. super blessed. Hey, it Gavin. wasn't fine, but it worked out. I'm I'm curious, man. What did you what did you catch? What did you find out when you field dressed, and what what did you actually hit? Yeah. So what we found was again like the arrow. It looks like it goes like dang near right behind the shoulder, like right in that little pocket, like for sure a little low, um, but right there. Turns out when I when I field dressed him, the arrow, and we we actually rolled him over and saw the exit wound. The exit wound was mid body and he was a little bit quartering too, probably for me, but pretty close to broadside. So the angle of it was definitely not, you know, what, what I had shot him at. In the video out, when viewers watch it, it looks way more quartered. It does. You are. I mean, that, I think it's way off my right. Um, but he was, he was a lot more broadside for sure. Probably slightly quartered too, but it's the, either way, the arrow should not have been angled the way it was. And turns out liver and guts is what it ended up being. Heart and lungs weren't touched. Not even touched. I mean, it, that, that video we sent you on, is that what you think we would have seen? I mean, no, that, that's why I was curious about that. It looked like maybe one lung, but, but not farther back than that. Yeah. My guess, based on when we watched the video and just what we saw, is it has to deflect off the front elbow. Like when you watch it and you hear that smack, without that arrow lodge, because that's the thing it doesn't add up. It's like... It hits something, but then the arrow's not lodged in anything. Like you can mm -hmm. see it waving around, you know what I mean? So it's like, well, it's clearly not on the offside shoulder. So when right. it hit, I mean, it has to instantly hit off the elbow, deflect back. I mean, it's two, three inches past mid-body. And, I mean, it just shows, like, you think you know what's going to go down, and it's the very opposite. But, Man, I thought you would have for sure been back of the right lung, mm -hmm. even with an exit through liver. That's crazy. Again, like the angle of the arrow, where the way it deflected, I mean, it was like way angled mm -hmm. versus yeah. what I shot him at. I mean, it goes to show like arrows, arrows do crazy things. Yeah, it was hitting hard stuff. Yeah. So. Um, I, I What? What kind of tree were you in? Did you said like a multi-trunk maple? No, it was just a larger trunk maple. Um, okay. I mean, if I'm if I'm sitting, if Dragos and I are sitting like opposite the tree each other, like I wouldn't have been able to see him. Like it's a pretty large tree around. That's good. Okay. Um, we're hunting out of the saddles. He is basically straight behind, like where all the tr all the trails are. So he he would be basically like peeking out from behind it, 
if there were deer out in front of us where I'm expecting them to come and I'm off the side cause I'm left-handed. So I'm shooting, uh, off the, I guess the right side of the tree, if it's facing the trails. So, you know, I'm a little bit more exposed, but there's other trees around us. There's one multi-trunk maple that's right next to us. And that's what kind of creates a blind spot for, it takes away some of the shooting lanes, but it helps on the cover side as well. Yeah. One of the tough things about the river bottom is, you know, it's, it's cottonwoods and maples and they yeah. lose their leaves so early and they, they don't, you know, those multi-trunk maples are one of the best things you can find, oh, yeah. save for occasional pin oaks and things like that. So I was just curious what you're in because I'm always uh, going to the top to try to, to try to hide because, you know, you hang a little low and uh, which I've been doing with Bella, you know, we, uh, with Bella, we're hanging low 12, 14 feet. And uh, it's cool to see her get in the zone. The other night we were there and she, she got her bow. We had two and a half hours to go. She never sat down. She never let go of her bow. And she's like, they're not going to see me. And she just was like, ready. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dang. You know? And, uh, you know, we had fawns and little bucks and nothing would look up. They'd come to the base of the tree and the big does would come out and just like from 50 yards, you'd be like, there you are. And I was like, yeah, these, these old does are going to be tough. Anyway. Yeah, we're we're only four sticks up in that tree, and so it's not a whole lot, but it worked out somehow. <laughs> I still yeah. don't know. But he's it, focused, obviously. He's focused, you know, looking for a sound, looking exactly. ground level. You you keep being bashful about it and saying, I don't know how it worked out. I can't believe it. And it's like when people watch this episode that you're gonna put together of this kill, they might not believe that it's Iowa public land. And I get that we talk about this all the time, like public land, state to state's different. And I was very blessed to have the natural resources that we do, the DNR that we do. But dude, you saw more mature bucks, better consistent activity than most, overwhelmingly most of our team that's hunting quote unquote private land. And that's not like, okay, you see one big deer, fine. That's luck. Stop selling yourself short. Stop saying you don't believe it. You should believe it. You've put all the details together. And that's the thing that like, I really hope shines through is that, you know, this is your biggest buck ever, but in the short amount of time that you've been hunting, the thing that you do and you do it in editing, you do it in anything that you, you know, put your mind to, you use every scenario as a learning opportunity. And I told you this as soon as we found them, it's no surprise that she got him. It's it's okay. Let me take it back. It's surprising you shot the same deer. Yeah, twice on public land, <laughs> awesome. eighty yards apart from the two shots. You saw him two times, and you shot him two times. Yeah, that's that's shocking. But it didn't shock me that this is the year you're going to get it done. And I think that I speak for the whole team when we say we're so happy for you, and there was nobody else that we wanted to see get it done more than you. You know, for all the things that you do for us on the editing side, Chasing November, main show. You know, I said this when you gave me the call, you know, when I was sitting, had seen one fawn the whole day. And I said in my interview, I was like, you know, if you're a person that appreciates Midwest Whitetail, you dang sure better appreciate Gavin Caterpa. And everybody here does a lot. Don't get me wrong. But you make it your business to do a lot and you do it at the highest level you can. And so... That applies to hunting. You're sitting by your biggest buck ever. And I feel pretty confident saying it's your first amendment. So 
That's right. Good job. It's good stuff, man. Couldn't do it without all of you. That's for sure. It's well, awesome. You got plenty of work. Uh, yeah. we'll, end it, we'll end it there. Hour in. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. And I'm very excited for the videos coming down the pipe. Um, this coming Monday, we have Andy Melton and David Williams, Illinois Gun Kills. Chad Holmes, Bo Kill, I believe. And then Kaysen's his son, possibly. Um, the following Monday, we've got the story of Vendetta and really just the most insane, epic whitetail season that I think anybody has ever had and a hunt to, you know, do it justice. Rye and Caleb had a hunt for the ages and Casey, Caleb's girlfriend, um, putting down an absolute giant. So that'll be the following Monday. And then the Monday after that, which should take us to what? 17th or 18th 18th, yeah right before late muzzleloader Mm -hmm. that would be gavin's uh saga so again one of those years where we're not struggling for uh episodes to bring to the table and that is a very very big blessing because i've been a part of seasons where it's the very opposite and it's just a testament to the team to paying attention to the details and thank you again for all the support out there guys hope you've had an incredible bow season incredible season wherever your state is and it's not over yet so good luck out there if you got a tag left to fill and appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to the after hours podcast